Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. It is Worryometer Wednesday. We have got ads. We've got where we worried. A guy that we were sending packing. There's a guy we were sending packing last week, and uh, he's turned it around, so I'm going to maybe turn the Worryometer on our heads a little bit. But I am Chris Welsh. That is Scott White. Safe and sound on the East Coast and no uh, crazy hurricanes, thankfully. Yeah, it looks like the threat has pretty much blown by us and it's going to direct its focus to other parts of the, the U.S. So that's very hopefully positive. everybody there stays as safe as we did. All right. Well, good. I'm glad you are doing good. And uh, people losing themselves because they didn't have us yesterday. So there's a lot to catch up on, of course, here. And let's kick it right off here, Scott, with an epic comeback from the Washington Nationals against the New York Mets. Washington was down 10-4 to in the ninth. They come back, six straight hits, and then you have what I'm curious at your take on, Edwin Diaz come in the game. Seth Lugo came in the eighth. Edwin Diaz blew his sixth save with two earned runs, so it's not all his fault here. And then the comment after the game was Mickey Calloway saying, well, Edwin Diaz's stuff was electric. He just got hit. Okay, thank you. 82% owned, should he be? Probably not. I I, I think, I, I don't know if maybe this was the start of it. Seth Lugo working the eighth, like you said. Uh, so they obviously weren't saving him or keeping him around for a potential save chance in the ninth. And Diaz had been better by all indications since, you know, getting kind of a break from the closer role, but doing some side work on his slider. It looked pretty good in the opportunities he got. It was kind of an unfair situation, brought in, the bases loaded, and I believe only one out, and uh, and things didn't go well for him, gave up a double and a home run. So, But I mean, you look at the situation then, and I think to what you're saying is like, well, you can't put it all on him. I think that's also what, what Mickey's doing. He by saying, well, his stuff was electric, he just got hit with it. But I just look at the own percentage, him not getting in those save spots, though it was interesting Lugo coming in at that spot. I mean, 82%, that seems like it seems oh, like right. an over-owned percentage for a guy that is only holding on to name value in an article about his slider. I, no, I, I get you. And I, as I said, he that is over-owned. Uh, I was just... I, I do think there's a good chance he is the closer again before season's end. But uh, are there safer options that are more available than him? Absolutely there are. This happens a lot. It, relief pitcher especially. I mean, Hansel Robles, who's been in the role all year, 74% owned. You go down further, somebody like Mark Melance and Brandon Workman, they're each 66% owned. Uh, those are all guys I'd rather have than uh, than Edwin Diaz. So, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, sure, he's over-owned. Paying for the opportunity at this point is difficult, and you laid out all of the good stuff there with that. Let's talk about some ads. What I liked about uh, the Tuesday games we're recording here around 1130 Eastern was we had a whole bunch of streaming pitchers that we focused on last week that are kind of aligned into the two starts here. So let me talk to you about some fringy-ish around the 50% range of CBS owned. I want to get your take on these four guys because I know at least two of them you were pushing. We had Jordan Lyles, who is 58% owned on CBS, go six and one-third, two earned runs, only two strikeouts, but he had struck out 14 in his previous two starts and only gave up an earned run. Chicago or Miami next. Your boy, Mike Montgomery, 
Five and two-thirds, one earned run, five strikeouts. He's got the uh, Marlins up next. Dylan Cease at 44% owned, struck out 11 but gave up four. And uh, Sandy Alcantara, seven innings, seven strikeouts, four earned runs. He's got Kansas City up next. So Cease has got the Angels. Alcantara's got Kansas City. Montgomery has Miami. And Lyles will have to see Chicago or Miami. So what do you think about this group? How do you sort it out? The only one who I feel like has the skills that fantasy owners typically look for is Dylan Cease. And of course, his first go around the majors, there's been a lot of inconsistency. So particularly coming down the stretch here, that makes it very difficult to use. The others, Lyles, Montgomery, and Alcantara, I think they're observe the matchups and cross your fingers types, which unfortunately is a lot of what we have to do given the shortcomings of the starting pitcher position this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, Montgomery, especially who's the Tigers today and the Marlins later this week, those two matchups heading into this week. I mean, that's, that's what you look for when you consider whether or not you start this type of pitcher. Um, they've all shown they're capable of putting together halfway decent starts, but it's it's obviously risky to rely on them beyond just favorable matchups when you have an obvious need to fill. On the same kind of front with the hitters, a couple top hitters that people can look at that had some performances that are noteworthy on uh, Tuesday, you had Luis Arise. Arise, chicken. 54%, two for three, three straight multi-hit games. Brett Gardner, who's 43% owned, he had his 20th homer on on uh, Tuesday, second straight game with a home run. For some reason, I was about to say Thursday. I don't know why. Maybe it was the last show you and I did. I was about to turn today <laughs> to Thursday. That's why you heard that hesitation. And then Anthony Santander, one for four, six games uh, hitting streak, fifth homer on that streak. So six game hitting streak, fifth homer on that. Arise, Gardner, Santander. Let's rock this one out. I mean, they're all kind of interesting. Kind of interesting doesn't play well at basically any hitter position. I think the most playable is probably going to be Santander because outfield might be might be the one position where I could I could see a good team still having kind of a need. And I came across an interesting stat for Santander earlier today. And that is kind of where he rates on a per game basis with other notable outfielders. So he's in, in terms of head to head points per game, he's right in between David Dahl and Andrew Benintendi this year, also ahead of Nicholas Castellanos. Of course, Castellanos has turned his season around is probably better, uh, but he's ahead of Ramon Laureano, too. So, I mean, Santander definitely seems useful, uh, even in like a three outfielder sense. Arias is interesting because he's a clear standout at kind of a scarce category with batting average there, but inconsistent playing time. And again, I don't know how much somebody needs a, well, he's eligible to a few spots, including the outfield. So I guess I should probably, he's one of those yeah. uniquely multi-position guys that we can look and pick on some of the, the counting numbers, but then it kind yeah. of, you know, moves away from us. I mean, Gardner's not bad with the right matchup. You could use him too. And not terribly exciting at this stage of his career, but in a deep lineup and tends to bat, does he still bat high in that lineup? Uh, he was earlier, but I know they've gotten some healthy players back. But, you know, decent power. Plays a lot. One game, uh, one guy we talked about that's in this kind of general range, at least of ownership, but name value has boosted uh, tremendously. It is Gavin Lux, who just so happens as we were walking into the episode is the most viewed and most added player 
No shocker, right? On CBS. On Tuesday night, he was uh, leading off for the Dodgers. Beautiful. Playing second base. And uh, as we're recording this, the Dodgers are pretty early in the game. He's the only Dodger hit right now. And he is up. If uh, I can pull that up, if I remember, up to 65% owned. So just any of your take on the early look at Gavin Lux and where his ownership should be? Well, the one disappointment with him, uh, you know, his arrival and obviously the fact there's a need for him. And that's all great. That's all very exciting. We've been talking about it for weeks and you should probably pick him up beyond what his ownership is. But uh, the way Dave Roberts kind of laid out the playing time Sounds like the goal is to play him only against right-handed pitchers. They have Chris Taylor. They have Enrique Hernandez, who historically has been a lefty killer. I don't know that so much in recent years he has. But um, that's the plan. I think Gavin Lux could change that plan with his performance against right-handers, which is why I still think he's worth picking up. So force the hand regardless of the of the you think he forces the hand regardless of what info is in front of us for him because he is going to he's going to be yeah. up next week by probably I mean unless he starts to stutter he's still going to be up probably by the end of this week up to the seventy five maybe eighty percent range yeah and I think it should continue to rise and, and yeah I think it's you know teams this is their best prospect now right uh teams don't want to. They don't want to limit, particularly somebody known to have so much upside, they don't want to limit his upside by kind of uh, putting him in this this you know less than less than everyday role. Uh, so I think if he has the kind of performance that we're hoping he could have, then Dave Roberts is going to say, "Shoot, I need to play this guy as much as I can." Do you think we have enough? We have enough time to figure it out with him, though. I don't think, I mean, right now, obviously, if you're talking weighing whether to start or sit Lux, you have to look at how many right-handers the Dodgers are facing because that's, it's more of a, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it may take two weeks of splashy numbers for him to start playing against left-handers and then how much is left of your season. So check this out. Let me put, we can put a little context. We had an email, which people, you guys can send in any of your questions to fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, and we will answer them as we can. KB emailed us, and it was about Gavin Lux, and he said, um, what range of a player would you drop for him? He had a little bit of a context otherwise, just saying this, you know, heavy playoffs, he's really concerned, but he got Lux. So what type of a player would you drop for him? He says he currently has Glaber Torres, give me a break. Yoan Moncada and Matt Chapman rotating in his second and third base spots. And he says he's stacked at shortstop. He says, I'm debating if I should drop someone like Moncada, maybe Zach Gallen, or one of his starting pitcher relief pitchers to potentially make that add. So, I mean, you know, you're not dropping no. Moncada. You're not dropping Gallen. You're going to drop a ratio starting pitcher relief pitcher type of guy for him? Even if you can't start him? Because it doesn't sound like he can get him in the lineup. Well, who was the lowest in guy he mentioned there? Gallon, right? Gall- oh, okay. yeah. He, he mentioned one of player. his SPRPs. Yeah, he says I, that I mean, Torres, Moncada, and Chapman fill up the second and third base spots, and he's got too much at shortstop right now. So it's a wealth yeah. of riches he's dealing with. Right. I mean, obviously, you're not dropping any of those guys. You're not dropping Gallon. Um, you know, SPRP sparps, as we like to call them. It just depends who that is. I mean, you, Montgomery, sure. Uh, Kinta Maeda, who now is been banished to the bullpen as happens at the end of every season. Sure. I drop him. 
Adrian Hauser, sure. Jordan Lyles, sure. I mean, like most of those guys are scrubs, and you'd rather have just a true closer you can slot in there and not have to use up so much roster space that way. And in which case, then you can stash Lux and have the upside play. I mean, if nothing else, just to keep him from burning you on somebody else's roster. Okay, I like that. That's a very good uh, very good approach all the way around for Gavin Lux for you there. And very good question. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. We maybe even get to a few more here uh, in a little bit later on in the show. We've got some games that are in progress, as I told you. Uh, let's see. The Cubs, Mariners, Royals, Tigers just ended. So we have got Diamondbacks, Padres with Merrill Kelly, who has been pretty solid. We're in the mid, uh, yeah, we're in the middle of the seventh right now. He's only given up three hits, no earned runs. So he's pitching a gym. The other one that is going on, Scott, Julio Arias did go three, struck out three, gave up two hits, one earned run, got about 44 pitches in, in kind of like that, that role that we thought he was going to end up playing. Because Remember, we were talking, and you made a really great point. I think it was on the Friday show where we were talking about Stripling and Arias, and we were talking about, um, I think, even like Rich Hill and Dustin May. And mm. now you've got Tony Gonsolin, who's actually getting the start. So is there any encouragement in Arias having you know three innings, three starts, or is it or three strikeouts? Or is it simply, hey, he's the opener, they're going to mix him in Stripling, and Gonsolin is officially the guy to own? I would personally be happy... Not talking about Julio Arias again until next year because there have been so many fake outs. He hasn't gone more than three innings in an appearance since April. And I see no signs of that changing. The Dodgers have given no indications that's going to change. And his ratios are, you know, particularly if there's no hope for a win, they're not strong enough. To, uh, I mean, I guess I guess he pitched three innings of relief last time out. So this his role is just bulk inning guy wherever we can use him. It seems to be. Yeah, a pure ratio type of a pitcher at this point. You're not chasing your yeah. wins. You're just and, getting innings and strikeouts. And he has a less than a strikeout per inning. So how good are the ratios really? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, hey, standout for you Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday standout for you, Scott, Mister Scott White. What? Uh, who do you got? Uh, Tuesday standout, I am going to go with, this is the favorite part of every show. I'm going to go with, I'm going to mention a couple closers here, a couple closers who have been on the Fritz and maybe we can start them with confidence again. And those two closers are, uh, Josh Hader, who got about a week off and was losing some save chances even before then, but he... Got a save today. He has of of the Brewers save chance. He he has three straight conventional saves for the Brewers. Like the last three conventional saves chances, haters gotten them. He's converted them. It's been great. And then Trevor, um, no, it's not Trevor Rogers, right? It's uh, Taylor Rogers of the Twins. He has the Twins past five conventional save chances, he's gotten all of those. So whatever platoon might have been developing there, it seems to have settled again into being just Roger's job. And that's a good thing because he's he's somebody who's 
less owned than Edwin Diaz and uh, deserves to be more owned. That's a really good one. We also, uh, Emilio Pagan ended up getting his 17th save of the year, a couple strikeouts. We saw uh, uh, Carlos Martinez, my guy, get an 18th save. I always like to see that. But we also had Richard Blyer go one inning, 1K, third save of the year, and they used Givens in the eighth. 0% owned, Blyer was. I mean, this... This is as good as a one-off, even though they put they put Givens in the eighth and then he came in. Any thoughts on uh, on Blyer? Yeah, I wonder what the distribution of those three saves is because I hadn't. I mean, Givens has been good lately. Yeah, that's, that's why point. I was surprised he came in. I believe it was in the eighth and then Blyer came in. Like they so rarely get the save opportunities, the Orioles that like it's. I I don't I don't think they even care to designate roles. It's. They're just they're just piecing it together one day at a time. Yeah, Blyer's last save was uh gosh, May. Is that right? Yeah, May. He had one in April, one in May. Was it May thirty first, I think it was? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So it's been quite a while. But he ends up getting the third and they used uh Givens in the eighth. Something to monitor if you're just like scrap heaping for saves. Where I this not not so sure you go and drop Edwin Diaz for this because that was a is a, probably a total one off. But just watch the name Richard Blyer getting in a few saves. Let's take a little break, little moment for sponsors. When we come back, let's hit the worryometer. I have got three players for us to discuss whom are, I would say, owned at a very high percentage across the board, but let's see. How comfortable we are over the next couple of weeks as we're ramping into the playoffs. So break here and then Warriometer Wednesday moves on. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, Scott, first up on the worryometer, I am bringing up a player that I called for dead, and I think you essentially agreed with me. We both said Eloy Jimenez over-owned. He was over-owned. 88% is where he sits right now. So we had our worries of essentially going and cutting him. Hits in five of his last six games, they're all multi-hits. Tuesday had a little double-dong action, 23 and 24th homer. But he was hitting 163 in July, ramped it up to 281 in August, but there was really no power. Eight homers over those two months to speak of. So are we still worried about Eloy Jimenez? Where does the uh, meter hit for you? Yeah, a two homer game. Like he's gonna hit some home runs sometimes. I I don't doubt there's ability in there, but these two home runs were his first extra base hits. Uh, the first extra base hits for Aloy Jimenez since August 18th. So it's it's gonna take a lot more for me to decide I want him in my lineup again in anything shallower than a 15 team league. Uh, so worryometer, if I got to put a number on it, I guess, I, I, I don't know, four. But, okay. So let me follow then real quick, because we were essentially good with cutting him. So are you, the four is you're still worried enough, but you're only out of four of your worry or I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Cause if we were cutting him before and he was over owned and you, you kind of poo pooed the, the, the good performance he had here, it, 
it sounds like the worryometer, maybe I'm just convoluting it, would be more of like a you're still at a seven for him. The worryometer is a difficult thing to calibrate. <laughs> Usually I think of worryometer in a sense of a good player who's struggling as opposed to a bad player who just had a two homer game. So I got I kind of confused myself, I think, is what it is. Well, but it's yeah, still the it ownership be, thing. It's still the ownership thing. 88%. It's still the ownership thing. Okay, that's that's how I should have been thinking of it then. Um yeah, no, that makes sense. I will I'll say eight. Okay. Okay, good. I think I'm still with you. Um, you know, encouraging signs with the batting average jumping from July or jumping in August from July is good. Couple homers, the power we want to see quietly could walk himself into a close to 30 home run season, which would be intriguing. But <laughs> it's at this, funny that a 30 homer season, like I know we're like we're like, oh, that's all right, right? That's an average yeah. one. But that's, that's like, baseball. Uh, well, it was like five years ago that there were seven players who hit 30 home runs for the entire, like, in, across the whole league. And there's like legit like seven guys runs. who might hit like 50 homers this year. We're like, well, 50 yeah. is the marker now. It, we don't even care about 30. It's just <laughs> yeah, a drop in right. the bucket for sure. So, yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with a seven. Uh, still continue that. You know, maybe not over-owned is so much the issue with him as it is uh, overplayed, especially when he's struggling. You just keep putting him out there and, uh, you, you know, doing it really at your own dismay there. Here's another one, and it's kind of in a same general sense, but my idea was he's only a utility, DH type of guy, Shohei Otani. He's 92% owned, but I went and looked on CBS, only 61% start right now. On the season, 289 average, 16 homers, 11 stolen bases coming into Tuesday. But over the last two weeks, Otani's been 6 for 35 with a 171 average and 1 RBI. So the reason I bring it up, high, high ownership. People are starting to worry. He has no flexibility for you. 171 over the last 35 at-bats. Where are you at? Rest of season, Shohei Otani. Yeah, and it looks like the playing time has suffered some... Lately, with these struggles, he had sat out two games in a row prior to this one, both against lefties. But, you know, uh, he starts a lot of times against lefties, too. The Angels have faced a ton of lefties in August. They did face a ton of lefties in August. My goodness. A lot of lefties. Uh, yeah, I mean, Worryometer, it's mostly the position limitations, like you say, because... Like, everybody has an extra first baseman to start, an extra third baseman to start. How committed are you to keeping Otani in that DH spot? I mean, look like at guys like Luis Arise, like we talked about. You know, with all that flexibility, getting hits, he's doing something. Yeah. I'm not really that worried from, like, an ability standpoint. But, um, you know, is he must start? No, he's not. And I think the start percentage reflects that. So I'll say worryometer for Otani. I'll go... I'll go like a five. Okay, that's where I was going to go. That's the exact number for mine as well. Like, he still borders enough that you're going to find justification to try to get him in there, but the lack of flexibility, and really, if anything else, don't let the name value hold you too much when you've only got one spot to pop him in, and he has been in a relative deep struggle. Though, you know, I'll probably go look and see what... uh the Angels are uh, Angels are playing right now, and it would only be uh, you know serendipity for him to hit a homer. But he does have a hit, uh, one for three in that game currently. All right, last one on my version of the worryometer: Hinjin Ryu with the Dodgers over his last twenty-one and two-thirds inning, which is sixty days. He's got a seven-four-eight ERA and a one-five-seven WHIP. Coming into the back end of this season, I mean, he's uh, he's one of those guys that is. He's out there. You're putting him in, but he's been getting blown up on the last couple starts. So worryometer the rest of the way through because 
it, it counts more because this is the only time that it has truly mattered in your playoff run. Yeah. Uh, worryometer on Ryu. Like, I can't imagine anybody actually sitting him, having the depth at pitching to sit him based on three shaky starts. Uh, I worry about his Cy Young candidacy uh, because I think that's taken a big hit. And I challenge you to come up with who is the front runner for the NL Cy Young right now because you could probably go nine different directions. But um, in terms of actually... Like, he was owed some regression, I think, obviously, but to the point that I'd be scared to use him, not given my alternatives as starting pitcher. So I will go, like, a three for Ryu. Okay. I think I'm in the—I mean, you summed it up really well, because the options that were truly given is going to be kind of the dictation. He's going to be starting here, as people are listening to the episode, against Colorado. Maybe that'll tell you more. Then probably a road game against Baltimore coming up. But his last three have been bad. I mean, he obviously hasn't qualified for a quality start there. Three straight losses, two of them he didn't get into the fifth inning. You know, if we know the regression is there, boy, is it a bad time to know the regression's there while it's happening in the playoffs. So, like you said, don't know if it's enough where he, you don't go and put him out against Colorado because of the guy that he is. And we've, we said it yesterday too. You don't want to be the guy that puts him on the bench. He pitches a gym and then you, you know, picked up an Adrian Hauser and they get lit up. You'd rather go down with the ship than watch it, you know, move away from you. Yeah, exactly. That was a point we brought up before. Um, a couple of details that I kind of left hanging earlier to change subjects abruptly. Gardner, Brett Gardner, bets in the lower third of the Yankees lineup. So, you know, even even more reason why we should only be so excited about him. And it was five years ago, 2014, that 11 players, not seven, hit 30 home runs. Among them, Chris Carter and Lucas Duda. Mm, what a list. Good old Chris yeah. Carter. Hmm. 11? And 11 we, and we, in I 2015. Think, I mean, no, 2014. I'm sorry. 2014, 11 players. One hit 40. Nelson Cruz hit 40. Really? Yeah. And we're but, what? I think we're what? Deep like 30 into 30? I mean, there's 25 right there. I could look it up real quick. I believe we just, are at, um, my guess is 33 players with 30 homers as I'm just well, glancing at this. Really quick, depending on how fast the internet loads the page. 33. Boom. Did you hear that somewhere? Boom. No, I did. I swear. I swear. It's just a guess. I did. That's well, I, I, I had like players up, so I just did a quick like visual scan and uh, 33 was the number. So wow. there you go. That's a lot of them. And what'd you say? 11? 11. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, five years ago. <laughs> only five. I was about to say, it felt like we were talking about like, you know, 1987. And it's like, no, <laughs> right. five years ago, there were 11 with 30. This year, we're up to 33 with, with 30. With three and a half weeks to go. Yep. And multiple on the cusp of maybe hitting 50 homers there. So, all right, uh, there you go. Version of the Worryometer. Hope you guys dig. What else is going on around baseball? Carlos Correa hit off a tee on Tuesday in Houston. So, Further speculating that hopefully we can get him back. Another one, you Darvish played catch on Tuesday and is on target to start Saturday in Milwaukee. Any caution? I mean, he's been so good, but any caution against Milwaukee at all for you? I'd probably play him. I'd find I, you know, I'd see if I had a good reason not to, but like we always say with pitching, it's what are your options? I'm not picking some scrubby guy off the waiver where to use instead. Yeah. You'd have to have prop 
pretty good matchup. I mean, you might be faced, honestly, where you could say, do I start you Darvish in, you know, versus Milwaukee or Mike Montgomery versus who did we say he's got? Is it Detroit? He's got Miami. Or Miami. Miami. There you go. So would you want Mike, Mike Montgomery versus Miami or you Darvish coming off of an entry against Milwaukee? Yeah, I think I'd take Darvish. I think I'd already have to have like a good pitcher that, you know, I'd have to be in the rare situation where I had a lot of pitching depth. Okay, that's I like it. Um, one of the guys that Milwaukee will not have against you, Darvish, or maybe we'll have to keep watching how it goes. But Mike Mustakas was out of the Brewers starting lineup on Tuesday due to this lingering discomfort in his left hand. He had come back for Labor Day, um, but then they've got Travis Shaw out there. So Mike, Mike, or Mike Mustakas, you're going to have to monitor here um, to see if you're going to get him back in your lineup. A not good one. This is a really bad one. We're going to have to see where this goes. But George Springer had to be carted off the field after just crushing into an outfield wall against Miami. He made a catch on this long drive off, off of uh, Ryan Braun, but he stumbled, hit the wall, hit his head really hard. And they said he's, uh, I think it's a concussion protocol. And there's, you know, yep. they're, they're monitoring for any other head injuries. And then, by the way, Kyle Tucker came in and proceeded to go 0 for 2. So Springer might open up a little bit of an opportunity for Kyle Tucker, but I'm not sure. How optimistic would you be on that? Because I don't think I think Springer's missing a little bit of time here. I would assume so. I <clears throat> I can't imagine he didn't suffer a concussion. Hopefully he didn't, but I and you know, I think we have every reason to believe he did. And uh that'll keep him out for a while. You know, nobody wants the trade off of Springer for Tucker, but it does open a door for Tucker that we wondered if it would be open for him. I don't know if it would be, it'll be every day. Uh, but you know, I think at five outfielder leagues, at least you need to make sure he's rostered. Yeah. This, there's a lot of upside. This changed a little bit of my take, you know, where I've said before, like what, what were they, um, you know, why were they going to push it? Had they not before, you know, Jordan Alvarez is going to be first opportunity guy. Abraham Toro is playing really great right now. So, you know, why are they going to press Kyle Tucker? Well, you know, the unfortunate reason for a guy like George Springer, who, you know, George Springer's almost in that injury prone versus injury plagued conversation that I know me and Pizapia, Joe Pizapia have it all the time of differentiating is he injury prone or is he injury plagued? And it feels like he's injury prone plagued where prone would be like coming back up with the same type of injuries he just keeps having things happen yeah no i'd i'd classify it as that and that's always a tricky thing the injury prone label i mean the jean carlos stanton if you will yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a time when you could have said Giancarlo Stanton was injury played because it was it was wildly different things. It wasn't always muscle pulls like yeah. like if a guy's pulling hamstrings, pulling obliques over and over. Like that's where I really think of him in terms of injury prone. But if, you know, he gets hit in the fit, pitch hit by in the face by a pitch, that was a. I had to be careful how I said that. Um, <laughs> I, think, or, I think you got out of it. OK, you got out of it unscathed, unlike George Springer. <laughs> yeah, love. if those things, then yeah, I can understand injury plagued. And and look, it may have been a case where George Springer happened to be injury plagued now, and he's kind of ascended to injury prone. But I don't think anybody's counting on good health from Giancarlo Stanton next year, or maybe not at any point in his career now that he's going to be in his 30s. Although, even that can change. I mean, J.D. Martinez 
and especially Nelson Cruz. They both used to be considered injury prone, and then they got moved to a DH, and they never get hurt anymore. That's very true. Well, everybody, keep your eyes on Kyle Tucker now. Opportunity rising, so as should the ads. Uh, maybe a guy plagued or prone. Chris Bryant was scratched from the Cubs lineup on Tuesday due to right knee soreness. He's going to be ready to go, they say, on Friday with a mandatory day off. That'll be in Milwaukee. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion returned 93% owned, but only 19% start for E5. He went two for four with his 31st home run return game. That was clearly people just not on the up and up on what was going with E5 because he was still owned 93% of the time or is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously first base is a deep position. Um, you, you consider the standard head to head lineup with only nine hitter spots to fill. I think an abundance of caution is warranted usually when a player returning from a lengthy IL stint. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, the Yankees, I, I, I think Mike Ford has made himself into a pretty good option. They also just got Luke Voigt back. Uh, Voigt seems to be playing every day, so uh, nothing has changed there for him. But, you know, I, I wonder if they're just going to completely phase out Mike Ford or if he's going to interfere at times with one of Voigt and Encarnacion or maybe both. Uh, Mitch Keller, he went one and two thirds, but he was hit today and he was out of the game, hit on the wrist, I believe it was. We're going to have to monitor where that goes. And then on a uh, comeback, Ramon Lariano said that uh, he's been running at full speed in some of his most recent workouts and he took live batting practice on Tuesday and he went to reporters and said he's ready to go and return to the A's active roster. So some optimism for you uh, with Ramon Lariano. He's a guy you get right back out there when he returns. Yeah, probably. Uh, I just mentioned that Anthony Santander has outscored him on a per-game basis in points leagues, so maybe a three-outfielder points league, you know. Maybe he's kind of fringy at that format. He was so hot before he got hurt, though. Like, like I, I, don't, I don't know if he's just going to pick up where he left off, if that was a new standard he was setting, or if it was just a hot streak. I think, I think it was mostly a hot streak, but, I mean, there's obviously some skills there for Loriano. Um, all right, let's uh, let's hit a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a bunch of hitting, some more hitting, uh, more pitching and hitting options. We might get to some emails, and I'm really curious if we'll get to this. Scott White's been teasing some 2020 first round conversation on the Twitters, and he had some really good takes. So if we have time, maybe we'll hit that. But little break here, and we will be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Some not-so-great starts on Tuesday. Two of them, eh, it's not that they're not so great. It's maybe the person that's not so great, um, at least from our expectations. Uh, Max Scherzer's a very fine person. Uh, hopefully that didn't come across wrong. Max Scherzer went six. <laughs> he gave up four. I, I've met him. I've met him a couple times. Okay. He's an incredibly yeah. nice guy. And I was like, yeah, oh, these guys are messed up. No, our expectations are higher. So it's not so great when Max gives up four earned run. And he does strike out seven, which was nice. But four earned, no quality start as well. Jacob deGrom. 
seven, gave up eight hits, four in runs, walked three, and struck out six. So that is in the not-so-great department for pitchers that you have high expectations for. Maybe two that you don't have high expectations for. Rick Porcello, I don't know, you guys own him 78%, went four, gave up six, struck out five, and Vince Velasquez, who's 42% owned, went three, struck out five, but it was actually the only going three, which was the problem. He went five innings in at least four of his previous five. So... Rick Porcello, last three were solid starts. He's got the Yankees up next. Vince Velasquez had been doing okay, but the inning things was weird. Any interest, or are both of these guys maybe over-owned? Porcello at 78 and Vasquez at 42? Are people fishing in the wrong Velasquez. pond? You said Vasquez. Oh, yeah, Velasquez. Velasquez. Just left out a syllable. Yeah, they're both over-owned, I would say. Porcello easily. I, I don't want anything to do with Porcello anymore. I was the high guy on him coming into the season. I've been the high guy on him for a couple years now. The reasons I was defending him are now moot. He's He was an underrated strikeout pitcher before, and now he's just a bad strikeout pitcher, and he gives up you know, more home runs than he used to. You know, like He's just gone bad in every possible way, and it's reflected in the ERA, and it's time to move on, folks. Probably it's that high because people have just, you know, the people who owned Rick Porcello have turned their attention to football, but yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're not among those, then you need to let him go. Uh, there were some really good performances that you would expect. James Paxton went seven, gave up one hit, walked one, and struck out 12. Very, very positive start. Where were we? I feel like we talked about him in a wishy washy standpoint over the last couple weeks. I mean, it's not, I don't know if this changes much for you, but Paxton's a guy that you're just flinging out there at any time, like the Ryu conversation, right? Nothing, nothing too much to worry. No, I don't think we've approached him that way for much of this season. I mean, his season long numbers are pretty yucky still. Pretty yucky. Uh, ERA over four, um, whip over you know near one four. So it's it's pretty bad. But seems to have straightened things out here. Twelve strikeouts in a one hit effort today. Eleven strikeouts two starts ago. Five of seven quality starts. Stuff wise, you know he's always looked fine. So I think. I think I'd be fine rolling with them right now. And um, just because the season-long numbers have gotten so warped, I think I think Paxton's going to be pretty nice value next year. Some other uh, good performances. John Lester went six, didn't give up any earned runs, did walk four, struck out nine on Tuesday. Mike Clevenger went seven, uh, two earned runs, four walks, but nine strikeouts, making good. Flaherty went eight, no earned runs, walked one, struck out eight. Granke went six, went six, Gave up four in runs and struck out four, and kind of still the wishy-washiness he's been with Houston. But your guy, Mike Fultonevich, 73% owned, went five, gave up no earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts, lesser owned than Rick Porcello. Fultonevich and Porcello shouldn't be in the same stratosphere of owned, correct? Correct. I have much more hope for Fultonevich. I'm not sure exactly where my hope uh, for Fultonevich, where exactly it falls, because... Like, I, I don't think he's as good as he was last year. I didn't, you know, even coming into the year. I thought he was going to take a step back. He was initially in my bust column before he got hurt, and I, you know, that pushed his value to a point where suddenly I was fine taking him. Um, so, you know, he hasn't, and he hasn't been great. I think he's been, I think he's been better than the numbers since he returned from the minors, but he hasn't been great. And... You know, I, I'm not going to say everybody needs to be owned in every league, 
Do the uh, matchups do... worry you enough off? Like Washington, he's got Washington or Philly. You know, maybe comparable. Maybe on Washington, a little bit more of a problem. But Washington, Philly, would that scare you off? There are some deeper leagues where I'm going to have to start him, but I'd rather not have to start him. I, I'm thinking him like he's good enough to have on a roster for a playoff team to mix in when he has favorable matchups, when he has two start weeks. But he's you don't want to have to rely on him. Now, you may, you know, that, that he may be your best option. I, I think you could do worse than him, certainly. But he's not, he's, you shouldn't count on him for like high end production, as you should, you probably know, because he hasn't really been giving high end starts since he returned. Is he, I don't know. I feel he, like I'm taking a negative spin on Fulton Evans. You kind of did. You turned a little bit, you turned away from him. Yeah. When it's, it's probably, you know, I feel like most of the time my job is to to help calibrate things appropriately, which means talking up a guy who maybe people are naturally going to be skeptical of. Again, I think he's been better since he returned from the minors than the numbers actually show. So maybe that should be the takeaway than all my uh, dismissing of him. What if you paired him up against the guys we talked about at the top of the show, Lyles, Montgomery, Cease, uh, Sandy? I mean, where would you go? Better than all of them. Better than better all. than all of them, so uh, so yeah, that's well. Who'd he be worse than? Max Freed. I'd rather have Max Freed than Fultonevich. Okay. I'd rather have Zach Gallen than Fultonevich. Agreed. Agreed on all fronts. Agreed on all yeah. fronts. All right, uh, let's hit into some more um, some ads here, and we're going to go into some deep hitting ads. Three players on Tuesday who are pretty solid. Adam Frazier, who's only and these are under twenty five percent owned players. So this is really deep leagues. But performances have been high. Adam Frazier, we talked about last week, went two for three, three RBIs, hit his ninth homer, currently on a six-game hitting streak, and he's got two straight games with a home run with the Pirates. John Birdie, who's 23% owned, he was only one for five, but he got his ninth stolen base of the season uh, on Tuesday. And coming in through August, 278 average with four homers and seven stolen bases. So, I mean, a power speed guy who continues to get his opportunity. And I just wanted to throw this in this guy in, even though he's lesser owned, and maybe it's more in the speculate. You know what? I'm going to save him for the speculate because those guys are like all fi- under 15% owned. So Birdie or Frazier, pit them up against each other, and who would you want to add? I would prefer to add. Um, I th- I think I'd prefer to add Birdie. He's been he's actually been at pretty decent. It's getting called up, and I like in in a way beyond what Frazier's ever been. Uh particularly particularly I think in a points league context but you know they're both deep options and you want, and you play for the stolen bases if you guys are in your playoff runs and you've got you know deeper options like this play for the stolen base option probably more than the power birdie's shown some ability for power but seven stolen bases in august yeah little encouraging i mean neither of these are power guys adam frazier john birdie yeah no um, i mean frazier's just showing a little bit of power right now but birdie's more yeah. of a complete package Pure speculation ads, whether it's due to injuries or whether it's getting a cold bat off of your bench. The one guy I was talking about who's only 13% owned since he's been back is uh, Joey Wendell. One for three, got his seventh stolen base, and he's got hits in five of his six games since returning. But there's only one homer batting, bat, uh, batting average compared to some other speculation ads who are under 10% owned. Abraham Toro, who we talked about, 8%. Hits in six of his last seven, two homers. He got a triple on Tuesday. Ben Zobrist, who's 6% owned, 
He's got a three-game hit streak going on, and Jake Cave, one for four, hits in two of his last uh, five games, and he's been a little bit more popular than probably the entire group. So if you're in deep, deep, deep speculation, do any of those guys not only fit the mold of like, all right, here's the guy in super deep I'm going with, but does somebody, do you view any of these as massively under-owned? I think so, yeah. They might all be, considering they're less than 10% owned. I understand the regular 12-team league, mixed-league player may not have use for any of them, but I think they all have a chance to be decent. I mean, Jake Cave was in my top 10 sleeper hitters for this week. So was Abraham Toro, for that matter, and has been getting regular starts for the Astros. I don't see that changing since Carlos Correa's return isn't in the forecast. Um Ben Zobrist, I mean, the Cubs have had difficulty finding a leadoff man all season. This is his first game today since, uh, and when I say today, I mean Tuesday, which I guess everybody, it's yesterday, actually, what I should be saying. But, um, you know, it's his first game since late, since early May, and uh, always been a good on-base guy. So if he's batting leadoff in front of Castellanos, Rizzo, and Bryant, I mean, he's going to be halfway useful. Another guy who I think is right around 10% owned and that we need to take a second look at is Josh Rojas, who all of a sudden the Diamondbacks are playing him again. He had four hits on Mon- on uh, yeah Monday with a double and a homer, uh, his second homer in four games. Then Tuesday, he's the game's not over, but he has two hits batting second. So he's, he's getting consistent playing time. And he's finally starting to deliver on some of that potential. Uh, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's worth a look again and, Five outfielder leagues, also eligible at third base. Is Rojas over all those guys? Did you say that? Would you go Rojas over uh, Toro? I think those two are an interesting pair against each other. They're interesting because, I mean, the minor league numbers were terrific, and they should be in line for regular bats. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a... We know, I think we're we're well aware of what Zobrists and Caves limitations are. Like, they're not going to be studs. They might be useful, but they're not going to be studs. Toro and Rojas, we don't know that they're not going to be studs. I don't think we could rule it out. So yeah, if I'm if I'm speculating on a scarcely owned player, I'm going with Rojas or Toro over Zobrist or Cave. Uh, a couple pitching performances I wanted to bring up that are currently going on as we're recording this. We've now hit um, we've hit over the midnight on the East Coast. The Diamondbacks game is in the top of the eighth, and you've got Merrill Kelly, who went seven, struck out nine, no earned runs and two walks, and you had Ronald Bolanos. He had a 3-6 ERA in the minors, 142 strikeouts, 130 innings, and he, in this game, went six, struck out four with two earned runs in a pretty solid matchup that not one human being would have streamed out there. Any comments on Kelly or Bolanos? Uh, I don't know a lot about Bolanos, who didn't make an appearance at AAA, so he avoided the, the juiced ball. Helped keep that ERA below four. Um. I don't know a lot. You may know more about him than I do. I've seen, I've actually seen him twice, but I've only ever seen him in like relief situations or they might've started him. I believe this was, um, this was in spring training, extended spring training where he'd come in and pitch a couple innings. Not a, I never saw multi pitches, just kind of a two pitch guy. I like, I would never would have guessed this type of result. Like he, if you're looking at the Padres, 
which, you know, where do they go with who, you know, they wanted to get out there with starts. I'm surprised it was Bolanos because you got still Adrian Morion, you've got Michel Baez, you've got guys like Ryan Weathers. They've got so many of them. Right. This isn't a guy that they featured in like a starting pitching role. So it's one of those performances I look at and I move on just like Chichi Gonzalez who, as we are going, has gone six with no earned runs and two strikeouts against the Dodgers, Scott. So, I mean, Chi-Chi yeah. and Bolanos, I'll just do hard passes on. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And Merrill Kelly, great start. He's had great starts at times this year. I'm not letting myself get faked out by Merrill Kelly with my season on the line. Fool me just once. because, yeah, fool me. It's been more than once. Like. Yeah, well, like, like every other time times. I make the yeah. wrong decisions on Merrill Kelly. He's one of those yeah. guys. Um, we have got we've got a couple emails I want to hit, but real quick, I just wanted to know how, where you know you tell me where you want to take this because we don't have a ton of time in the pod. But you know, earlier today you were tweeting about trying to figure out what the first round looks like, and you said you kind of had to do a self like four or five round mock draft. Yeah. Do you want to take a minute or two and just have a little quick primer to what you did and like the results of um, of what came out of it for you? Yeah. So this is going to be a column in the next couple of days where I just project the first two rounds for next year. And normally it's a pretty straightforward process uh, because there are players who stand out above the others and it's just finding the right order for them. But I was having so much trouble narrowing down the candidates that I had to go four rounds deep to kind of to figure out how all those candidates would fit together on a roster to actually simulate a scenario where somebody's having to balance their team to figure out an order for these guys. And if it made sense to have somebody in the first round versus somebody else, particularly with regard to starting pitchers versus hitters, like if, if does it make sense to pass up this high end starting pitcher here based on the hitting options I'm going to have to choose from in the next round. And I'm still not sure. I'm still not confident I landed in a good spot with that. It still kind of feels like I just arbitrarily scattered pitchers throughout the first four rounds of this mock draft. Um, Like basically, so four rounds of a 12 team league, that's like 50 players, right? 48 to be specific, but top 50, let's say. Um, It's just, like it, it just feels it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a clear order for the top 50 which is insane like i mean I'm, i was saying like, it on itl like the top this is the first year i can recall and i don't know how long where there's not a consensus number one overall pick there's actually not a two it's similar to the running back situation of fantasy football where i mean i guess people would argue against that maybe it's the the running back two overall second overall pick in fantasy football which could be for them you know three different running backs the number one overall in baseball there's an argument to be had that it could be Ronald Acuna or it could be Mike Trout or it could be Christian Yelich. I'm doing Justin Mason's too early mock right now. I had the second pick and I had Mike Trout sitting there for me. So there's no consensus at the top. The word I was looking for was parsing so much parsing to come up with four, like to come up with the quote unquote right order for the first four rounds. And I'm still not confident it's very good. I'm not sure. Like, Here's a couple of examples. Jose Altuve, I have him two rounds ahead of Pete Alonso. Does he deserve to go two rounds ahead of Pete Alonso? Mm. I, I mean, it is 44, I, three for five. Is it his 44th on Tuesday? I think they both have 
similar value. Juan Soto, I have two rounds ahead of Anthony Rizzo, who, you know, it is 32nd, by the way, in the second and third rounds. So how is he going two rounds behind anybody? I don't know. Like I, I could I could give you this thin justification for why I have him behind Juan Soto. But should it make two rounds difference in an actual draft? And if hitters, if such similarly valued hitters are having are, are still available that far apart. Why are we going with hitters at all? Should we just be drafting high-end pitchers until they're all gone? I think there's a case to be made that we should. But I, I so I don't know if it's really I, I don't know. This is something I'm gonna have to put more thought into, but I'm not sure if it's really if it's really a case of me looking at who is the what is the most impact you can get from this draft spot or if I'm being held back by tradition and uh, precedent that you can only take this many pitchers this high versus hitters. I don't know. That's yeah. something that's something to figure out. And and I think a lot of it might depend on the, the behavior of the people you're drafting, which which is obviously not something I can account for when I'm putting together rankings. Was there something just real quick that was uh, besides this in the starting pitching conversation? Was there a physical player, whether it be you were shocked that you had them in the first just by looking at it or you were shocked that you kicked somebody out of the first that shouldn't have been? Nolan Arenado is not in the first round for me. And I have always been one of the most vocal Arenado supporters because I feel like he gets unfairly pushed down to like seventh or eighth overall. You know, when I, I, you know, this year I had him fifth and I'm, you know, was resolute in my argument for why he had to go fifth. And he's done nothing wrong this year. <laughs> he's been Nolan Arenado. And now I can't even fit him in my first round. Part of that is because Anthony Rendon, I mean, like he has completely overtaken him and every other third baseman with the production he's had this year. I mean, he's been better on a per game basis than Cody Bellinger in a points league. I mean, probably a little different at Roto, but he's hitting almost 340 in a way that's fairly believable. And then there's, you know, Bregman and Freeman round out my first round. So I guess you could make a case for Arenado over any of those three, Rendon, Bregman or Freeman, but I wouldn't. You could, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like yeah. I, I choose not to. So he's kicking off round two for me. And just really throughout the whole thing, I'm, I'm shocked at how low certain players are. I couldn't fit. Like Aaron judge is a late third rounder for me, which I mean, you, I get you could defend it based on the way his performance has gone this year, and yet we know he has first round upside. Pete Alonso, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, uh, Bryce Harper—they're all fourth rounders for me. So I, I mean, I talked about how Harper wouldn't be a first or second rounder anymore. He and he barely made the cut for the fourth round. Well, I highly suggest everybody be on the lookout for that article because it should be a doozy. And you can follow Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White if you want to see some of the musings of it. I got to I got to see your brain in action as you were working through the process of it and you were tweeting about it. So it's definitely good stuff. A couple quick, quick ones here on the emails. We gave you the email before fantasybaseballcbsi.com. I don't know the history behind this, but Matt wants to know, will Scott eat crow? Lindor has secured a 2020 season. Were you were you pooping on Lindor? Uh yeah, with the nature of his calf injury and the severity of it, uh, I felt like steals were a big part of what was driving uh, what at the time was he was going fourth overall, but I was knocking him down to the second round 
uh, because if you took steals out of the equation, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to run much. Clearly he has, and, um, you know, I guess I'll eat crow. I, I don't think the process was wrong. I think if the same thing happened to a similar player, I'd make a similar argument. But it just, you know, didn't happen to play out that way this time. A three-way battle for first, where stolen base runs and average are the most relevant categories rest of the way. This person, they didn't give their name, felt confident in their Kyle Tucker pickup until Hinch implied that he'd be a complimentary player. Well, something uh, transcribed tonight. For the rest of the season, Roto, which one should be dropped? Should I be going for playing time volume? Sinzel is up and down in the order. Would you expect Lariano to be activated? Um, well, he didn't give the person. So he said for rest of season, which one should be dropped? Kyle Tucker or Sinzel? How about that? Or Loriano. Those are the three, because Loriano's going to be activated. Probably Tucker. I don't have hopes for a huge impact from Senzel the rest of this year. So, you know, if if you wanna if if it was for a bench spot, I'm not sure he makes that clear in this argument that I could see going Tucker over him, but I'm ranking Senzel over Tucker rest of season just from pure ranking standpoint. So Tucker would be the odd man out here. Definitely not Loriano. Uh Patrick had a similar question where someone like they screwed up and they had a legal roster, so they so Kyle Tucker was available. Should he pick up Kyle Tucker over Tommy Edmond or Danny Santana? This is probably Tucker over Edmond, though. Yes. Yeah. Edmond is scrubby. I would, if it came to it, I wouldn't drop Danny Santana for Tucker. I would not. But, you know, you got Edmond, you could drop instead. So that's good. Brian says, Dear Jim, Darius, Mark, and Dean. The only thing I can think is this is uh, Hootie and the Blowfish because Darius. 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 Marker? Yeah. Is it, could that uh, be it? I don't. I don't know. I don't know who any of the blowfish are. So okay, that's the only thing that jumped on my mind. We'll have to look here. I'm currently ba- uh, batting or battling. He means to stay in the money in his 13 team five by five roto league. He has Brendan McKay and Anibal Sanchez left for his last pitcher spot. Sanchez looks like a two start guy, but they're against Atlanta and Minnesota. He says I'm in need of wins. Who do you start? Well, you start the guy that's up, Anibal Sanchez. <laughs> Well, no, McKay got called up again. But he get back up? Been, I didn't even see it. Yeah, he got called up today. And by the way, you know, I, I would start Sanchez too. But by the way, we got some confirmation about players who aren't coming up. Did we mention Robert? Good. Luis Robert? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. yeah, you are right about that. I was He's, always down on that one, but they're officially yeah. not calling him up. Yeah, they've, they've made that official. Sounds like Carter Kiboom, unless there is a need, like in the case of, uh, you know, their second baseman breaking his wrist or something. Uh, it sounds like he's not going to be up. Um, and uh, Dahlbach. Uh, Bobby Dahlbach, right? Yep. Bobby Dahlbach with the uh, yeah. with the Red Sox. Yeah, power hitting third baseman or first baseman. He's not getting called up either. He's okay. going to be with the team, but he's not getting added to the roster. Which is unfortunate. By the way, I absolutely nailed that. Uh, Darius Rucker, Mark Bryan, Dean Felber, and Jim Sonafield. Feld. Jim Sonafield are the members of Hootie and the Blowfish. That everybody wanted to know. So congratulations. You win. I win. We all win. That is what we got for you, everybody. Follow, like I said, Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White. You can follow myself at Is It The Welsh. Worryometer Wednesday. We're all good. Notches dialing down. Let's get through the rest of this fantasy playoff run here. And we have got you back on the next episode. For Scott White, I am Chris Welsh. Thank you for tuning in. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.